Welcome to the Real Uniting Church podcast with Scott and Marty. In this series, we go in search of the core identity of the Uniting Church in this its 40th year and where we might go in the years to come. Join us. Today we have a special panel in the studio with us. There are a bunch of Uniting Church people who have had interesting experiences around midlife and made some pretty big changes. We want to talk to them about how those experiences shaped their lives and what that might look like for a church. Joining Marty and I today are Holly Jewell, Heather Denhouting and Phil Smith. Welcome to you all. Great to have you with us. Good to be here. Thank you. Um, Heather, maybe I'm, I'm going to start with you and, and ask, could you tell us a little bit about who you are and a little bit about your story? Thanks, Scott. Um, so I'm a 52-year-old mother of three. I am a minister's daughter and my grandfather was also a minister and therefore I am a child of the Uniting Church. Mm. 1977, I remember because of the T-shirt. It was all very exciting. Can I just ask, are your kids feeling pressure to kind of follow in the line of... (laughs) (laughs) I have tried to give them the liberation that they require. They can move somewhere else and do something else. The really important question is, do you still have the (laughs) T-shirt? I do not still have the T-shirt. But it it would have been a collective a collector's item. But of course, the momentous part of that really passed me by. I was caught up in the joy of my parents as opposed to it being anything particularly special to me. Um, So I'm one of the generations that's grown up with the Uniting Church as the Uniting Church. I don't identify with the pre-Uniting Church uh, denomination. And I think that says something about where I am in faith and where I am in terms of how I relate to the Uniting Church because I don't have a point of reference that's pre-Uniting. And having grown up in the church, I decided to take a leave of absence from the church in my 30s. I left for 10 years uh, and didn't darken a church's doorstep. And my reintroduction to the Uniting Church or to the church generally was um, when I had two young children and a relationship breakdown. And as always, you go through your own point of self-reflection and reimagining who you are. Where am I? What am I doing? Why am I here? Made some decisions around that, including a really strong sense of call back into church community. Mm-hmm. Then the rest is history. Uh, came back into the church to work as uh, in the synod office, entered a period of discernment, became an ordained minister, have been in congregational life, then mm-hmm. as a director of mission in an agency of the church yep. and now the general secretary of the church. So absolutely feel like I know the place inside and out and yet it yeah. constantly surprises me. Holly, could we uh, invite you to tell us a little bit about your own story and how, um, I mean, how your life connects with this conversation? Um, I am 42. Uh, at the age of 38, I was diagnosed with breast cancer uh, with two young or pre-teenage children. Mm. Uh, I've been a member of the Oxley congregation for nine years. Uh, so, yeah, had kids and then thought I needed to find church because um, I wanted them to grow up with a sense of with understanding my faith and the sense of belonging that you get from serving alongside the members of your congregation in various activities is quite exciting and thrilling. Um, so, yeah, when I was diagnosed with breast cancer, my faith and the family around and the yeah, church yeah. family around me is what held us all together and yeah. made it so 
easy, I guess. <laughs> oh, it was a it was I'm an sure easy. easy maybe not quite <laughs> Phil, you've been very quiet in the corner. Mm. Can you tell us a little bit about your story as we kind of continue just to, to meet each other? Yeah, and, and there, I suppose there are so many parts to that story. I came to faith in North Queensland uh, when I was 15, and that's so that's 40 years ago. I'm 55 now, and uh, at, at a state school. And there was a remarkable move of the Holy Spirit at that time in that place. It was... Uh, in, in more global terms, the Jesus movement, in Australian terms, the, um, the charismatic revival. And we had uh, a number of, of really significant youth groups in Townsville and Aiken Vale Methodist Youth, Amy, and I wish I still had the T-shirt. Um, <laughs> we had a couple of hundred kids of a Friday night and uh, more importantly, three Coopers and two Cooper S minis. Um, you know, that, it, was, it was just a fine time to be... Can we talk about sports cars already? <laughs> yeah, we can go there. We'll come back to that. Um, and I think I was probably one of the last people confirmed, wow, you know, there's a word, into the Methodist church. And then, of course, there for union. Maybe the youth group thing is, is kind of an interesting analogy in that, in that um, we were Aikenvale Methodist youth. We had five hockey teams in the local competition. We played soccer against those Presbyterians uh, and the Congregationalists from Fort Knox around the corner. But you know, that got pretty rough. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Um, and and when, when we were told that we were to become the Uniting Church, well, what are we going to do with that? And Donny Island said, well, we just become Aiken Vale Mundingborough Youth. We've got to keep the name. You know, so, <laughs> so in a sense, you know, everything changes and nothing changes. And I reflect over the years of where, where we all are. And I think... The, the journey of those of us who came to faith and have stayed connected over 40 years in friendship and in fellowship, that, that I am part of something that is much bigger than the Uniting Church, that is that, that greater thing within the body of Christ. And I suppose in my travels and in my experience in, in other things, I found that I can worship in a, a range of circumstances and yet still find an identity as, as somebody whose home is this, this quite peculiar thing called the Uniting Church in Australia. When you work, as I do, in an ecumenical environment in a school with Roman Catholics, there's some, some discussion to be had there. When I, I tell people that my coming to faith was really uh, as much a Pentecostal experience as it was a Methodist experience, I can find friendship and, and connection there. So these days, 55, um, three times a granddad. I've been with Kayleen for 30, nearly 32 years. And all that is probably part of that, that same journey along there. And served in the military. I worked for the ABC. These last few years, I'm now getting paid by the Uniting Church. And uh, that's a funny thing. I find myself in a circumstance as a pastor in a new neighborhood, um, planting a church and working in the school that's in that neighbourhood. Mm. So I, I resonate with some of that, those questions about those turning points mm. and those places mm. where you go, am I staying or, or mm. going? Mm. And for me, that was on operational service in, uh, in Banda Aceh after the Boxing Day tsunami, which mm. is 11 years ago now. Mm. And I remember seeing 140,000 and smelling 140,000 dead people. Mm. And, um, and if there is a God, what kind of God is this mm. who allows these things or does these things? And, and they were big questions yeah. that, that really took me out of my suburban Australian air-conditioned four-bedroom brick living mm. and, and caused me to ask, you know, really, really? And, uh, and that, that was a turning point for me. And I think 
one of the good things about Uniting Church World is that it's okay to ask those questions. Mm -hmm. And there is, um, there's people who will help you with that and not just give you easy answers perhaps, but we'll, we'll walk along that journey with me. So, you know, yeah, I'm here and it's, it's a mixed bag for me. Mm -hmm. I love it. Oh, I get frustrated with it, and God is is able to use me in this context in some way. Mm. That's all good. Mm. We've touched on a couple of different experiences there of illness and of loss of a, or, or the ending of a relationship of that experience that you just talked about, Phil, of being in Bandarache. I'm wondering if there are other experiences that have shaped your own middle of life. People do talk about middle life crisis, but even just times of transition, experiences in your life that have forced you to kind of dig deeper or think differently? Well, my um, big one was the decision to leave my career and become, you know, enter the period of discernment. And mm. I, as per usual in my life, um, I spend a lot of time going, absolutely not. I am never going down that path. You have got <coughs> to be joking. Um, and then going, oh, well, all right, I'll just throw my hat in the ring and I'll tell them the truth about who I am yeah. and I'll tell them the truth about what I believe. That'll work. Yeah, that'll work <laughs> and they'll all just go, go away. We don't want to have a bar of you. Um, so it was that deep experience of self-revelation mm. and self-examination and I the questions about, I don't see how I belong here. This doesn't make any sense to me. Well, where my uh, understanding of where God is, how my relationship with uh, Jesus Christ is, does this actually belong to any of the frameworks that I understood the church to be? And um, of course, when you do that, you fall again into the deep, loving acceptance of God mm -hmm. uh, through Christ who says, come as you are. And the uh, responsiveness that I had from the church to my self-questioning, doubt, uh, warped and distorted belief systems, which were absolutely challenged by going through theological college uh, and reset as they're always reset, mm -hmm the casting off of um, self-understanding about who I was and what I thought I would be uh, and, you know, how I thought I would have success, a successful relationship. All that stuff had to be put aside. Yep. And there's been a couple of really great authors who've helped me through that, um, Richard Raw being the most recent, who sort of says there is a time of your life where you actually have to get to the point where you put aside the stuff that has done you well up until this okay. time yeah. in your life, but now you actually have to give it away mm. and say that was okay for the growing period or the self-identifying yeah. period, etc. But in this uh, next phase of life, you actually have to shed that skin. Mm. You actually you have, have to, to examine it all again. Yeah, well, not even look for new things. Okay. Fall back into God okay. and allow yourself to rediscover mm. who you are again as a mm. child of God. Mm. And that thinking, that theology, that uh, acknowledgement of the brokenness of whatever it is you think you've built and saying that's actually okay, that it doesn't belong anymore, that mm. the story of creation, redemption, co-creation, recreation actually allows for that new step to occur. And it just seems so apt for the Uniting Church too. How do we 
fall again mm. into the arms of God at this next stage of our lives. What does it look like for a whole church to do that, to, to fall oh. again into the arms of God? Wow. Well, first, I reckon the first thing you have to do is not be afraid. <laughs> you know, do not fear. Fear not. Mm-hmm. Because uh, another, you know, huge experience in my life has been the illness of my daughter in 2015 uh, where she suffered near-death experiences and my learning about what it meant to be completely out of control, actually have no decision-making capacity in anything and all those pretenses and fantasies that you have that somehow what you do or who you are or how you behave will bring you good blessings and karma are revealed as nonsense. Mm -hmm. That is absolutely not, and that's not the story of Christ, Um, and it's not the story of God's faithfulness to us. The faithful story is um, be not afraid. Let go. Uh, May I? Please. And and then the next part of that story, and and it is so important that the angels begin with be not afraid because being afraid is our default setting. Mm -hmm. That's how the world runs. For I bring you good news of great joy. And I wonder if that's that's the next real trick for us. In a sense, be not afraid. Yeah, but what happens next? Mm. Well, what could be what could be great good news and joy is actually what comes next. Yeah. And I wonder if if after forty some years, that's one of the hardest recreations for us. It's true for individuals mm. and it's true perhaps for an organization. A thing that set out to call itself a movement, not a denomination. Mm. Um, maybe that's a, a real good trick for us because I think in, in living as individuals, in our relationships with others, in our career, in our parenthood, um, in all those kind of things, there is a point at which, well, what comes next? You know, is, is it just more of the same? Mm. Uh, or, or, or am I just struggling to... to get to retirement or, you know, put aside enough in the bank for the, you know, or whatever, mm. instead of saying, well, actually, this, this, this is a good season. This, this next yeah. thing coming around. Uh, I remember one boss I had who said, hey, Phil, 50 to 60, you make it count, mate. He said, it's the best years of your life. You've been around the block enough to know how many apples make six, um, but you're still healthy enough and young enough to have enthusiasm to go with that life experience. It's, it, it ought to be really good. And I, I wonder if that might be true for us too. Mm-hmm. We've spoken a lot about the turning points that you've each had around the age of 40, but I'm gonna direct this question to Holly. When you have a health issue that means you are questioning everything, how does that make you reevaluate the things that are important to you and how might that look for a church to do that? To, to look at your life and think that you're not going to live as long as you possibly thought you were going to live and that you're going to leave behind your children and the people that you love. I certainly was not afraid of dying because I knew that I had my God. Um, but I could see the pain in all of the people around me. Mm. And I was, I guess I was more determined to, to beat it or to, to fight so that I didn't have to watch them suffer. Um, and I would set myself ridiculous goals, like I want to run a triathlon before the end of this year, even though I can't walk to the end of the block <laughs> right now without sitting down halfway through. Um, or I want to do this. I didn't even have a bike. I didn't have, hadn't been to the pool in years. And 
I was just like, I've got to do this. I've, and I would just set myself the next ridiculous goal and just start breaking it down and working my way to each of them. And I, I've never taken my health for granted since, I guess. It's like, and, and I, I'm keenly aware of my husband taking his health for granted, but I'm certainly aware that it's a decision to, to be healthy is a decision you make every day, all day, in, in all sorts of ways. And my next ridiculous goal is to do an Olympic distance triathlon and then half Ironman and then an Ironman at some point. And anyway. So did you, you did your triathlon at yes. the end of the year? Yes. I, um, yeah, so I was diagnosed in August and I did chemo from, I think, October through to January. Mm-hmm. And, and I barely missed any work. <laughs> oh, there were certainly days when I was like lying on the floor at home by myself just like just get me through the next hour kind of thing mm-hmm. and, and that sort of thing um, and God was there God was good God was God was always there mm-hmm. and then yeah I did a triathlon in November I did like a, just a short sprint distance <laughs> just an easy one <laughs> but like yeah I sort of thought it's going to take me like nearly three hours to do mm-hmm. it. And I did it yeah, in yeah. just over an hour or something. And I Fantastic. Was like, yeah. When I signed up to do that one, there was like a bargain basement. If you do two, if you sign up to do two, it's like half the price or something. So <laughs> like, oh, All well, right, if I can do well it do in November, I can do it in February. <laughs> and, and also thinking that if I didn't do the November one, then February would be the next goal. So, so I did um, November and then I did the double distance in the February mm-hmm. one and then mm-hmm. triple distance the next So can I check, had you ever done a triathlon before? Never. So for you this was it actually was a, a new a completely new reach yeah. goal. Yep. Yeah. It was uh, I like I have always admired sports mm. people and I remember as a kid watching um, what was her name? Martin uh, was a woman who won gold Commonwealth or Olympic, I can't remember, uh, marathon, and she was a mother of four at the time, and I remember my mum turning around going, I'm a mother of three, you know, (laughs) look what she's done, I've done nothing kind of thing, and I was like, and that always stuck in my mind is that just because you're a mother, life, like, it doesn't stop, like, you can still keep achieving things, and you can still, Yeah. yeah. Wow. Could I just sort of... Drop three things out of that go, that just jumped out and bit me on the blessed assurance. Um, in in the Uniting Church, we are obsessed with our ill health. Yep. You know, where we're talking about, you know, we're, we're doing the numbers, you know, the blood cell counts, and we're doing the finances, have we got the insurance, and, and we're, you know, well, is the end nigh, you know, are we going to live past, you know, whatever. So we've got that stuff. Set ridiculous goals. Uh, yeah. Hey, you know, what um, are they? What, what are those ridiculous goals? What might those goals ridiculous like goals be? Um, because that just that just seems to me to be life giving mm. and invigorating in, yes. in, in this time of life. Yeah. And and then the other thing was your heroes. You know, you said there was a lady. I recall she did this, and that I've never forgotten that. And there's a place then for looking forward and looking back, mm. uh, and and deciding. You know, What's happening right here now? Mm. Yeah, where are we going? Oh, that was that. Thank you. (laughs) 
You're listening to the Real United Church podcast. We're about to dig into how we set goals as a church at this stage in our life and what it might take to achieve them. So I, that's a really fascinating reflection because, of course, I was doing the same thing. I'm going, that goal setting, you know, those aspirational goals that just say, I don't know. I don't know if I can do it, but yep. why don't I just see, yep. you know, give myself, give it to myself and see yep. uh, what happens. And uh, there is a really exciting um, energy that sits behind that. Mm. But I would have to say to you that I actually don't think the United Church is obsessed with its ill health at the moment. I reckon, I think we've got a bit of the both. So um, Holly, as part of your story, you said uh, you don't take your health for granted mm-hmm. every day. So you're checking in on yourself every day saying, how am I doing? How am I travelling? What's going on for me? I'm actually never going to take this for granted again. I reckon one day you might, but, you know, maybe not straight away (laughs) because you've got a new habit there. So I don't think it's obsessed with our health, the Uniting Church. I think it is. We are taking, you know, we're in a place where we're going, okay, we actually need to just not assume ourselves into health. You know, there's something about us that's actually telling us that we actually have to look after ourselves, which is not so much about being obsessed with your health and the dying symptoms. It's more the sense of, okay, let's just check in. How are we going? What's happening? Because I think I have, I know I'm an optimist, but I have a much more excited view of the future for the Uniting Church. I think we definitely are at a time of transition where I call it the Prince Charles effect. (laughs) Oh, Let me tell you about this. I think we're about to be led into a yeah, you here. could, you could. Or an uh, architecture lesson. <laughs> an architecture. No, um, that there were that the, the United Church came out of this grand scheme that came out of the Second World War. So there was this whole movement into churches that unified and belonged. 1977 is an arbitrary date because the unifying work had been done mm-hmm. for decades mm-hmm. before then. Yep. You know that that 77 is that kind of legal date, mm-hmm. but the birth of the church was very much post-war in the same way that the queen kind of came out of this sense of a reconciled or a settled or a peaceful Europe. You know, let's let's come into the space where we understand who we are, where we actually uh, understand how we belong to each other, how we understand how humanity can work against itself and for itself. So there was this whole new emerging of what it meant to be in the world and how communities should find ways of living together as opposed to tearing each other apart. Um, but And she, of course, has been so well loved and so well regarded in terms of capturing that essence. And I'm not, you know, of course you can be a Republican, etc. but there's something there that yep. makes her feel you know, that people love because there's a sense of safety, solidity, she's been there, which means that Prince Charles has never ascended the throne because she's never stepped away or she certainly hasn't died at this stage. So now people are starting to look and say, well, who will be the next regent if there is a next regent? And they're looking at Wills and Kate. Do you see what I mean? So the the, the view or the na- narrative of who we are carried through for genera- for a generation, the people who came after, who loved the Uniting Church, kind of 
sit waiting to see what happens as a result of the legacy. And the Wills and the Kate generation are kind of saying, well, what is it that we actually want? You know, we come from a different environment. We come from a different cultural um, background. We've got completely different ways of communicating with each other. Mm. We're so far past the World War II um, transition that there's a different narrative about how we are in conflict with each other as well as how we work together. And our way might not look anything like that way. So this is the very radical stuff that you may Mm. want to cut out of the podcast, but it's the kind of stuff that actually says, guess what? The next 40 years is not going to be stable. Mm. The next 40 years is not going to be the builder, the sustainer, the maintainer. The next 40 years is actually going to be... Uh, how do we find God in multiple places, in multiple times, in multiple um, variances? And what does a church have to look like to actually be the movement that that allows that stuff to float? So it's kind of one of the conversations that I read on the website recently uh, on uh, Facebook was about this idea of big church and little church. You know, and how do you hold big church in a way that allows little church, that is the people who are relating to people in faith, how do you hold your structural narrative in a way that allows the church to thrive and blossom as opposed to keep it safe? I reckon that's a conversation we need to be having. We will be having. We are having. We're having. Do you have something you want to add to that? I was just coming back to to some of that thinking about, you know, what happens to us as, you know, and it's it's an Australian Western sort of experience, but that idea of getting to about that 40 mark, Mm. uh, that that middle of life thing, and uh, what are some of the other critical changes in that? And I have been puzzling a little bit about relationships. Mm -hmm. There are very few people with whom I've maintained deep and strong friendships since since I was a teenager. Mm. There's one that I'm, I still surf with and, and talk to and, and we're close, we're tight, you know. But that's one. Mm. Um, and the nature even of, of my marriage has changed. I mean, what, what it was like for us to be 23 and, you know, mm. and now yeah. to be 55, you know, yeah, it ain't the same. But, you know, it's, it's good, but it's really different. What's my relationship with, with others with whom I work? You know, do you start to see people as competitors instead of colleagues? You know, in the work environment, do my sales figures need to be better than yours? Mm-hmm. And so those kind of things, I think, are worth reflecting for an organisation as well. What, what's our sense of, of the, the nature of our relationships, perhaps with other churches, mm-hmm. with people within our, our own circle here? And, and where are those, those things that were the, the joy of our youth? What's the nature of them now in their maturity? Uh, is, is that a... a a scene worth following. A couple of things you said then really resonated with me, particularly reflecting as I get closer to 40, I can see myself... <laughs> Nicely done. Ah, <laughs> yes, youngest person in the room. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm not far off. Uh, but I can see myself uh, becoming more and more insular with my own family mm. simply because mm. I don't have time, you know, working, I've got a small child... It's hard enough to keep your own family functioning and happy and, you know, as normal as possible. In a sense, I can see the church doing that too. You know, we focus on our own a lot because that is what we need to do to keep 
the ball rolling. But if we're talking about changing where we're going or at least changing direction, what do we need to do to build the people up on the inside and encourage them to make a difference on the outside? Because, yeah, inwardness mm. doesn't often lead to ridiculous goal setting. No. <laughs> uh, Self-reflection Well, I think there needs to be a bit of both because, again, I want to just keep saying that Holly Story, sorry, Holly did just keep using that, but, you know, there had to be the inward stuff. There Mm -hmm. absolutely had to be the inward stuff in order to say, well, what's my new expression Mm -hmm. look like? What does the new world look like for me? I've been irredeemably changed Mm -hmm. And that means that I can make different decisions to, yep. to my previous ones. So, But in order to do that, you had to relinquish something about yourself. Oh, yeah. 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 And you also had to allow yourself to do that. I think something like training for a triathlon, it takes time. Oh, yeah, you and have to be selfish. You have to be selfish um, to be able to achieve something. So how did, you, how did your family take that? Oh, it certainly got some pushback at times when it was like, so you can't pick me up because you're out running or you can't take me to here or there because you want to go to the pool. And I would, as much as I could, try and fit my training into the hours when they were sleeping or (laughs) not needing me. And I would get very skilled at dropping, doing a 20-minute run, picking up Mm. and getting my training. Uh, But, yeah, I had to be selfish and there were certainly times when they would just kind of roll their eyes at... Uh, mum doing a thing but it'd be like this is what I'm doing this is mm. this is why I'm doing it and so is it about having a really clear goal and just going for it and managing everything yeah. at the same time but just realizing that you're going to annoy some people yeah. on the way to that goal yeah and that's okay yeah and I probably let a few things few responsibilities at, certainly at church like I, I backed off on a few other things that I'd been involved in just because I just didn't have the time and wasn't my focus anymore. That, that clarity and and um, and drivenness, I think, at an organisational level, mm. uh, is, is equally hard mm. or harder yep. to get a grip on even than it is for an individual. Yes. And and there's a lot of reasons for that, I suppose. But I, I think that is an important time to come to uh, an assessment that says, well, what are the next ten years for me, mm. and what are the you know, the, the autumnal years for me going to look like? What's the time of harvest that I want to come to? Uh, and that, that's true for individuals. Uh, I remember somebody who, who was very helpful to me over years once said to me, so, you know, the, the things that end in zero, the birthdays that end in zero, we make a lot of jokes about that. But, the, but there is reality and there's more significance as they go along because there's, there's been things you are going to do. And if you haven't done them by 30, that's okay. You'll still get them done. And there are some things that you're going to do. And if you haven't got them done by 40, that's okay. You'll probably still get them all done if you really want to. But by the time you hit 50, if you're going to write that novel, you need to be on it. And by the time you get to 60, if you were going to climb Mount Everest and you haven't started doing any training, there's a fair chance you're actually not going to make it. There will be things that were just kind of aspirational dreams that you've actually allowed to slide because you didn't have clarity and purpose in getting to them. And so as an organisation... You know, what are the things that we really want to see or do we have still some fairly vague aspirational sort of things about where we belong in the wider community of Australia, where we belong in the wider community of the world, God's world and what God is doing, or do we have clarity that says, all right, we don't actually have a lot of time to just 
muck about. We need to do the reflection and then act upon that. Except I would say that um, where the analogy breaks down, and I'm going to take all, it back to all the analogies prince, do. I'm going to take it back to my Prince Charles analogy, which is that um, if what we do is say, uh, okay, it, it's up to us. You know, we're not. We want to climb Mount Everest, and it's up to us. So we better get training now. We we're ignoring the next generation who are just saying, we've got plenty of time. We've got plenty of time. Why, why are you spending all your time, energy and focus on setting up base camp at Everest when what we're going to do is um, quickly duck over to Mount Kilimanjaro and run up and down it in two hours or something? So this whole idea that somehow um, the conversation is a unified conversation about we're getting older and therefore we've got to make serious decisions about our health and our, et cetera, ignores the fact that there's actually huge p- amount of people who, who love the Uniting Church or are aligned to it or, you know, would might be captured by the vision who have got another 40 years up their sleeve. What is and the so vision? What, how do we allow them to speak into the space and what are the artefacts that we leave them? Are we leaving them the old canvas gear for the climbing? Or are we going to say, here, here's a great camping store. Go and choose your own, go and choose your own equipment. But what is the vision? That I, I, would, I would ask you there, what is this vision that, that we're all sharing for the next 40 years? Well, I'd, I'd be asking them, what's your vision for the next 40 years? And they'll say, we can't even think 40 years. We can only think 10 years ahead. Do you know what I mean? Like, so trying to hold it somehow uh, to the fact that um, there must be consolidated vision ignores the fact that visions are popping up all over the place. So for me, the question is, big church keeps thinking that we have to hold uh, people together in a fairly, you know, let's all go and run the triathlon. Now, I might say... Thank you, Holly. No, I'm not going to come training with you because I am older than you and what I'm going to do is walk in Italy for seven days instead. Or, you know, something that's more suited for me mm-hmm. and my age and my propensity. But there might be someone who's 20 who said, triathlon, let's do, you know, race around the world. And you might say to them, thanks, but no. <laughs> you know, that's actually... Not right now. Not right now. Seeing what they make so you eat. How... Yeah. how The vision for me then becomes the vision that says, how do we hold the competing narratives in a a movement that actually allows people to dip in and find their place in that, as opposed to being, you know, thinking that we actually have to create something strong, solid and durable that people can attach themselves to. What I'm saying is that, you know, that's the big church version. I'm saying, no, guess what? Big church may not work anymore. Uh, what we might need to do is be much more uh, interested in what's happening with the next gen and ask them what do, what it is that you want might want. And they might say, we don't want buildings. Sell them all. Like, I'm, I'm not saying that is what they're saying. They might no, say, I think we, we just abs- got that on recording. Yeah, they might the say, we want all the buildings. Said. But they might say, we don't want buildings. They might say, we don't want services. We don't want to run a hospital. What we want to do looks like this. And then how do we step back and allow that to happen? Is that the equivalent of early retirement? Yeah. Here, kids, you as have opposed, the house. As opposed to mentoring and coaching and remembering our heroes who inspired us in the first place. 
Well, why don't you model the hero? I mean, why don't, wouldn't you still model the hero and say, guess what, guys? You can have the house. Do with it what you will. We're going travelling. We're actually taking off. We're going to, we'll see you in two we're years' time. Yeah, we'll see we're you in two bird. years' time because what we're doing is we're going to create our own mobile lifestyle now that says, over to you. You know, why would you not do, you know, again, I'm not saying you shouldn't, you should do it or you shouldn't do it. I'm saying, why wouldn't you do that? Why wouldn't you consider just saying, we'll take our hands off. We'll actually take our hands off for the next 10 years or five years and we'll come back when we're ready, when we've been and seen Venice for the last time because it's sinking under the canals or something and uh, see what you've done with the place. And that'll be okay because... We don't, it doesn't belong to us anymore. It actually has never belonged to us. It's always God's. I think in a sense that brings us back to the um, be not afraid mm. that Phil you talked about earlier because one, one of the answers to that question that I hear around the place is we can't take our hands off the wheel because there's no one to take it up. Mm. And so we're afraid. If we let go of our own sense of control of what's happening, we don't know who there is that'll... So there's this sense of... Bing. Be not afraid. You know, we actually need to be prepared to live with the uncertainty of taking our hands off the wheel and mm. seeing what might emerge. Uh, we're just about out of time, which happens in all good conversations. So I do want to finish with one question for you, and it comes out of again out of Holly's story, and that is for each of you in the place in the church in which you sit. What's a what's one big hairy audacious goal? That's the phrase that we kind of goes around the place at the moment. A BHAG, a big hairy audacious goal that you would like to challenge the church in, in the part of the world that you sit in, uh, that you would like to drop on the table uh, and not have to do anything about personally, but leave it there for the church to kind of grapple with in this its 40th year? There's a hard question without notice. I can tell you my personal goal is to take a month off next year and the whole place not to fall apart. <laughs> so that's my taking the hands off the wheel and hoping that the... I, I, that's a very arrogant thing to say, but, you know, the, mm. there's this whole expectation that the general secretary uh, holds things mm. um, and holds information. And my uh, personal goal in that is to have a synod office that works really well, no matter who's around, you know, that we've actually got mm. a culture and systems that make sense um, to the environment in which we're operating. So that's a real-world goal that you're actually working on. I absolutely yeah. am working on that, and I am taking the month off, so <laughs> let's see how that goes, shall we? It's a bit like your triathlon. <laughs> but for the church, I reckon the big, hairy, audacious goal is for me to have everybody ask the question, what difference would it make if we weren't here? What difference would it make to the world mm if the Uniting Church did not exist? What difference would it make to God's plan? What difference would it make to the flourishing of, of humanity? What difference would it make to the cosmic Christ if the Uniting Church was not here? And I, I have my own answers to that question, but for everybody to, to have actually asked themselves that question, for me, is almost one of those critical points that said, is it the time where you say, well, what is it that we have to, what, what is it that we're going to leave? What, it's the legacy question. What is it that we actually mm. want to leave that's so true to who we are that nobody else can do it, mm. um, as opposed to the stuff that we might want to 
say goodbye to. So that is one of those middle of life transition turning kind of questions, isn't it? That mm. you know that we might ask individually as mm. well as collectively as church. Mm. Yeah. Are there other thoughts around a big, hairy, audacious goal? God, um, I guess my think my trying to think of something was um, how how does faith and sport come together? Okay. Mm. Um, I'd rather be running and yeah, riding yeah. my bike and talking to somebody. Yep. than turning up to church on Sunday. Yeah, okay. <laughs> That's going to be an interesting space to watch over the next... We might check in with you next year and see how that little plotting is coming along. Okay, I, I've got a... It, it doesn't sort of come together quite so concisely, but if we look at what some of our small rural communities mm. have to do to function as church, so without a paid staff, without an ordained person um, with very little resource and so on, is that actually the model not of necessity but of choice Mm. as we develop church and local churches? Is that actually more true to what guys like Davis McCackie were talking about back in the day where it's not about can we raise a stipend, fund a building, have somebody who's who's got at least a bachelor's degree and preferably postgraduate, or do we have genuinely a ministry of all believers in which this community of the body of Christ in this place has all the gifts of the Holy Spirit that it will ever need to function as God's people here now mm. in their peculiar place. So if Pastor Phil goes under the bus tomorrow, this thrives and grows and continues and maybe that's part of or intersects with mm. what would it be like if we weren't here? Would we still be God's people mm. in our place and our time? Mm. Thanks to our guests and our listeners for joining us at the Real United Church podcast today. 